We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to make a special announcement about Season 5. We're going to change the format just a little bit. We still are going to have guests, and we still are going to tell stories, but for Season 5, I am going to walk some courageous souls through the Finding Peace worksheet, a copy of which you can find in the Finding Peace workbook, which is available on Amazon. If you would like to be one of those courageous souls, then I just need you to go to findingpeaceconsulting.com forward slash podcast. There, you'll find a button that takes you to an application where you can be considered as one of these amazing, courageous, beautiful souls that are going to bless the lives of a lot of people as you do the work. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is my sincere hope that you find support, solutions, and solace here. In today's episode of the Finding Peace podcast, please be aware that there will be some stories about sexual abuse and some minor language that may be offensive to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Nikki Eisenhower is a professional psychotherapist, international life coach, yoga teacher, and host of the podcast Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets mindful. Today on the Finding Peace podcast, she tells her story. When I look back at my life, I have one of those stories that we would have to talk for about three days straight to get all of my story. <laughs> so I think I'm a seeker and I think I was born to be one, which means I'm always seeking something that just feels better to me, that is in my alignment, that fits my life's purpose. And I believe that I was born to help people figure out this really complex, complicate, complicated, beautiful, and sometimes painfully difficult life. Nikki was born prematurely. And the fight for life began the moment she came out of the womb. My little nervous system came into the world just fighting for life, just in that that nervous system response. My lungs weren't developed. I was a month early, so I couldn't breathe. So when I think about, you know, little bitty baby me, I came in like with just with a struggle. In fact, medical professionals did not think that Nikki was going to make it. Nikki's mother was Catholic. When you're born Catholic and you're really sick and they think you're going to die, the priest comes in, you get baptized, and they gave me what they call in the Catholic religion last rites, which is you're, you're about to go. <laughs> and that's the blessing that you get. So I, I think early on in my life, when I started putting together why I had so much post-traumatic stress in my body, which I have healed... It goes all the way back to my birth. Somehow, deep inside, 
Nikki already had the strength to fight for life, and she was finally discharged from the hospital to begin her life. In some ways, my family was, was really great. I got a lot of hard work ethic. Um, I got a lot of responsibility. I was the eldest child. Um, I got to babysit other kids really young. It, it sparked my entrepreneurial spirit that made me grow my counseling business later. Um, there was a lot of family around, a lot of togetherness, a lot of good food. I'm from New Orleans. Uh, we celebrate every vice. You know, We like to, to make every, everybody experience their vices. So I grew up with a lot of culture, um, a lot of music, um, a lot of warmth. Early on, Nikki began to develop what you and I know are called attachment wounds, starting with the wounds of rejection and neglect. My parents had one of those really immature War of the Roses, except they didn't have any money, <laughs> which is interesting to be able to have a War of the Roses type marriage and divorce. Um, and so I was a little parent. I was a little adult. I was parentified. Uh, I was a people pleaser. Um, I've had to figure out in my life that I was taught to be a, per a perfectionist. And so as much as that's helped me in life, wow, has it made things harder. I've been my own worst critic and hard on myself just because that was sort of the programming of my family, that nothing was ever good enough. Uh, and the, the little pure child that I was worked double time to, to please to, to the point of I didn't really have a sense of who I was because I was just whatever anybody else needed me to be because that's how I got people to light up for me. But her attachment wounds did not stop at rejection and neglect. Soon she developed the wound of betrayal when her parents divorced. The story was that my father, who was Italian and fluent in Italian, was going to kidnap me during their divorce. So I grew up being told directly that my father that I missed, that I loved, he was warmer than my mom, that then all of a sudden I had to be scared of him. And, and I was told I was responsible for my two younger siblings. So I, I have moments in my history of remembering like being on the school playground and all the other kids just running totally in their bodies, totally in their childhoods, and running towards the fence and kind of smacking the fence as kids do, and I'd stop short. Because even the boundary of the fence wasn't enough to make me feel safe. I felt so unsafe. Nikki's neglect wound got bigger, and then she began to experience the wound of loss. So the older that I got, I was lucky enough to have a lot of experience in, with both my grandparents. They were kind of my functional parents growing up once my parents divorced. And then they both died before I got out of high school. By the time Nikki was a teenager, she had developed all six of the attachment wounds, including the wounds of abandonment and abuse. My biological father had drifted after the, the kidnapping that never happened. Then he just had visitation with me as if that hadn't been a threat. I don't know if it was a made up threat. And then he just kind of went away. So I had that abandonment. Then I had another father come in and he was lovely. My mom had remarried and she had remarried a man that my mother was warned by his ex-wife had molested his children. 
And so I, we, I, we moved in with a child molester. The child molester was lovely. He was interested in me. He was encouraging. He was nice. He was funny. And the, the complexity of that is that I do believe he loved me. And he hurt us tremendously. And just like the Finding Peace model lays out, when those attachment wounds begin to be hit and those negative core beliefs begin to settle in, the way that we often experience that is through shame. And as you know, because of your own personal experiences, those attachment wounds and the mounting shame combined can be incredibly painful. And Nikki, as with many of us, the only solution was to numb the pain. My survival was to numb it. You start drinking very, very young in New Orleans. I was going to bars at 16, which I thought was totally normal till I left the state and met other people that legitimately didn't go to a bar till 21. So I've had to really sit back and re and put my life together and understand what was shaping me, what was programming me, how I didn't understand boundaries and limits. I didn't understand what taking care of myself was. I think because of all the alcohol and food and, and just partying, that is the lifestyle there. I don't believe I ever saw anyone really healthily process difficult emotions. So all, all I kind of could figure out how to do was you shove it down and you pretend like it's not happening. And you probably know from your own experience just how ineffective numbing is to healing our wounds. When we go to the hospital because uh, maybe we've had surgery, the anesthesia really helps to not have to deal with the pain of the wounds, but it doesn't do a whole lot to actually heal the wounds. Because of the people in Nikki's life and because her grandparents had passed away, there weren't many adults to whom she could turn for support and comfort in getting her needs met. Nikki described her mother as a narcissist and a sociopath and was as emotionally cold as the Ice Queen. Her father had walked out of her life, and the only other man in her life was her stepfather, who was sexually abusing her. I couldn't get away from my home fast enough. I waited for 18 and waited for 18. It was a very cold, tension-filled existence. I managed to, despite pretty much failing my senior year, I still managed to get a scholarship that I wonder if spiritually, I'm sure there's many of us that feel like it was exactly for us at the right time. But I've often felt, wow, that must have been just for me. Some big rich guy that I should know his name, this man's name should be tattooed on my body somewhere because <laughs> he, he saved my life. But when he died, he gave his wealth to the children of Louisiana. And if we got like a 2.5 GPA, we could go to a state school. My parents didn't want to help me with school at all. Um, they dropped me off at the college dorm with $50 and left. And I put myself through school with that scholarship. 
as with many individuals who have experienced that kind of trauma, especially as a child, we suppress our memories. Our mind does this beautiful thing of putting it in a box so that we don't have to think about it. However, as Nikki began to have sexual experiences in her first marriage, all of a sudden, those memories of being sexually abused began to show up. And she began to talk to her sisters, her younger sisters, about whether they had experienced something similar with the stepfather. And it turns out that it had happened to them as well. As my sisters came to terms with their abuse, it took, I think, about six months, and then we all went to press charges. And that was like a 12-hour uh, police day where they ask you things over and over and over and over again. And I was angry. My sisters were sad and sort of fragile, and I was livid mad like electricity had moved through my body. And I felt a lot of shame even while it was happening. It took me years and years to realize I was in such a fight response. Mm -hmm. I, like I would have, if, if Buddha or Jesus himself would have come down and given me wisdom, I might have clocked him. Just, I was just hell on wheels angry. And at that time, on that day, I found out that during my dad's, the adoptive dad, the abuser's divorce before my mom, my mom was his third wife, that he had been accused of molesting his children. And they had done the old school therapeutic, hook the electrodes up to the man's genitals, show him pictures, let's see what turns him on. And the police let me read his psychological evaluation from the custody. And it said very clearly that he was a child predator and should not be allowed alone with children under 12. He adopted us when I was 14 my sister was 11 and the other nine, but he came into our lives when I was 10, seven, and my little sister was still four. That day is when I found out that, I think it was that day, but it, might, it was those days was when I found out that he had actually, he didn't start with me. I was the last one because I was the eldest. I was the hardest to groom. He had started with my youngest sister when she was four. And as the eldest who had been taught through the kidnapping, it's my job. I was told directly, it's my job to protect my siblings, which is a terribly unfair burden to put on any child for any reason at all. It crushed me. It crushed me. On top of the memories re-emerging about her earlier sexual abuse, Nikki was also going to school full-time to get her master's degree. She had successfully completed her bachelor's degree, and one of those angel people in her life had let her know that she wasn't going to be able to do a whole lot with a bachelor's degree, especially if she wanted to work in the field of mental health, and so she was pursuing her master's degree. And her first husband was abusive. He held onto many of the same type of traits as her mother, those narcissistic and sociopathic traits that made her feel small 
and powerless. All of these pressures, all of these painful experiences, and these attachment wounds that continued to be hit became too much for Nikki. And she admitted herself into the inpatient mental health hospital to get some support. I had enough insight and wherewithal to say, and I'm not supposed to say this as a therapist, but I say this with so much affection because it was the best decision of my entire life. I was like, take me to the loony bin. Take me before I murder somebody. Take me to the loony bin because I could not handle that I hadn't protected them from him. And I couldn't even protect myself. How could I protect them? So I, I had that experience too of going to a psych unit. I stayed 11 days. And once I checked in, it was fantastic. I did it for indigent care. It wasn't any kind of fancy Malibu, swimming pool, get massages kind of treatment. This was with people who didn't have any money. But it was exactly what I needed. It was such a wonderfully weird experience when <laughs> at 11 days they wanted to send me home. And I was like, no, I don't want to go home. I'd like to stay here, please. I feel safe. I can relax. Nikki worried that this whole experience, all of this trauma, all of the things that were going on in her relationship with her husband, the dealing with the court case and, and all of the challenges that went with reporting her her pedophile stepfather and watching him go through the legal system, dealing with a narcissistic mother who was not supportive, going to school full time, all of this as it led to her admitting herself into the psych unit made her concerned about her being able to pursue her counseling career. She thought, why, why would I be a therapist what would make me be an effective therapist i'm freaking crazy in fact she believed that all of these painful experiences would actually exclude her from being able to be a therapist so she wrote an email to her professor explaining what was going on hey i have to check myself in in the psych unit i told her what was happening i said I press charges on my dad. It's on the news. I can't handle things. I certainly can't be a counselor because I'm crazy. I have to go to the hospital. And I guess when I get out, I'll properly drop out of school. And she wrote back and said, good for you. All of us should take a mental health vacation. This will make you a better counselor. Take as long as you need. Come back to school when you're out. So when I checked out, I went right back into my graduate counseling program, and I was 100% open and honest. Staying in the psych unit provided Nikki with the support she needed to leave her abusive husband. And I left, like, in the middle of the night. His violence was kind of escalating. And like a lot of women of the time, I'll be 42 this year, I, I thought the line was supposed to be when a man hit you. This man would say things like, I'll never hit you because I'll never give you the proof. So he'd bully me. He'd push me. He'd hit in my face and scream. He'd terrify me. And I hit a point where I just couldn't. I couldn't. And I knew enough to have value for my life. It's something my grandparents gave me. That I, I refused to allow myself to think about suicide. I had the thoughts. I had the ideation. But I never, ever allowed myself to have a suicide attempt 
I felt like dying. I felt dead sometimes from it. I had so much depression that I had psychomotor problems at times that like picking up a glass of water would take so much concentration. It might take me 20 minutes to get that sip from the table to my face. My depression was severe, severe, severe at times. So I left right at the point where he was going to hit me and we were in the kitchen. And because I have a strong fighter that saved my life, my eyes just shifted to the knife drawer and he saw me. And he went, oh, you you think you're going to stab me? And I thought, this is really going to escalate. I got to get out of here. And I don't even remember how I got the keys. I think I wound up pushing him. He threatened to call the police. There was a big college textbook. I picked the textbook up and swung it at him. I think the keys flew. I grabbed the keys, ran out of the house with the clothes on my back, got in my truck and slept in my truck, just cried. The biggest loss of my life was by the time I left, my stepdaughter was almost eight and I had been very involved, very involved. I loved her like I birthed her. That's the thing that I'll get me to them now. Part of Nikki's master's degree required her to do an internship at a mental health agency. Unfortunately, at that same time, Hurricane Katrina had blown into town and destroyed most of the internship opportunities until she got a call from a friend. She said, hey, there's an internship in addiction. And I had worked in bars in New Orleans to put myself through school. I was like, I'm trying to get away from people that drink (laughs) and do drugs. Like, I've been, that's all I've been hanging out with. Like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I took it because I needed it to finish school. And it was such a great fit. I realized, oh, I know these people. (laughs) I can actually really help these people. Okay, all right. As you know, if you have read or are familiar with the Finding Peace workbook, or the Finding Peace model, we numb in order to deal with the pain of our attachment wounds, especially when they're open and raw or keep getting hit. But when the wounds begin to heal, the need to numb is significantly lessened. Nikki discovered this too, and that discovery helped remove a lot of the shame that Nikki had had about using alcohol and drugs as a teenager. And I started realizing that when you dealt with people's trauma, most of the time, all of their addictive tendencies naturally went down. So when I I had to make peace too with, with all of my past drug abuse and drinking and really understand, I probably needed that bomb. It's not as clear as good or bad, right or wrong. It's, that's what got me through. It numbed me enough so that I could survive my 20s and teens and get to a place of having some some professional stability some financial stability because healing yourself and taking care of yourself it it costs like nothing is free in this life and i think it got me through that time so i could stable out um now today without even trying i might have one drink a year i don't want any i don't even naturally want any alcohol anymore after graduating with her master's degree Nikki found a therapist who was another one of those angel people, another light on her journey. Right when I was a new baby counselor, right after Katrina, I found Lisa. And she has really been the spiritual mother that I needed. 
She was kind. She has no ego involved. Um, she was patient with me. For the very first appointment, I was very dissociative. And that means you're kind of like losing time. So to compensate, I'd ha I'd try to be places an hour early. This was before you had, you know, a map on your phone all the time too. And so going to a new place, I'd get lost. And so I, I showed up early and it was a home office and that just hadn't come up as we were scheduling. And so I didn't know if I was in the right place. And that first time I met her, I was basically having a panic attack. I was irritable. I didn't know if I was in the right place. And she opened the door and I said, I, I didn't know this was a house. And just her grace with me. She said, I'm so sorry. I really should have told you that. I will really make sure that I tell future people that. And in that moment, I realized I didn't think I had ever had anybody just own something very simply and just apologize. All I had ever heard was massive defensiveness that I didn't know how to identify as defensiveness. Had I said that to anybody else in my life, they would have said, well, what's the big deal? That's not a problem. Like, you know, what, what's, why are you so weird that you can't walk up to a house? That it sparked like the seedling of trust in me for her. And she was just consistent and consistent and consistent and consistent. Along the way, Nikki developed a concept that she calls spiritual mothering. When she needs a mother to provide support or guidance in her life, she will imagine powerfully loving women like Maya Angelou standing behind her, putting a hand on her shoulder and offering words of love and support. She also learned some tools to help her develop some resilience and ground herself during distressing times. And she shared one of those with me. It's her favorite. And one of the reasons I love it is because you can most certainly do it by yourself, but you can do it in a room full of people and nobody will know you're doing it. So if you start to get triggered and, and, not, and by not in your body, there's the bodily sensation of just not being here. And I was so out of my body that I would like try to walk through a doorway and like hit the door. So I was bruised up. I'd fall downstairs constantly. So this technique is about helping your mind be right where it is right now. Most of our stress and angst comes from our mind running around to the past, rehashing things. Why did this happen? Oh, was this my fault? Was it their fault? I'm angry. I'm hurt. Or going into the future. What's going to happen? How do I control all the things that I can't control in the future? So this technique is about not being in either of those places and actually being here. And if you're traumatized, you learn that right here is not the place to be. So we've got to come back to, oh, grown-up me has made it so it's safe to be right here in the now. So here's the technique. And you do it with eyes open. What are three things that you see right now? Might be a color. Might be a clock on the wall. Might be a painting. Might be a doorknob. Maybe a favorite photo. And just take a deep breath and notice those things. Take another breath and tell me what you hear. Listen really close. I just hear quiet, maybe a little birdie outside. And then how do things feel? 
the sense of touch. How is the chair underneath your body right now? If you have hair, how is the hair on the back of your neck? How are your toes and your shoes or socks or bare feet right now? What's the temperature like in the room? Is there anything to smell? And take a deep breath. And if you notice what you noticed, there's a quieting. The chatter of the mind gets quiet because we're going through our sensory system. Because right now in any present moment, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are it's a good bet. I'd put good money on you're clothed, unless you're maybe in a luxurious bath right now, right? But you're clothed, you're well fed, you can have a sip of water if you need to hydrate yourself. There's no like wolf at your feet or, you know, stranger with a gun. Like you, you're most of the time we're okay. It's just running around in our thoughts when we're not okay. And so that exercise, the more you do it every day, multiple times a day, whenever you need it, what happens is your system starts to go, oh, what if it's safe in the present moment? What if? Because we don't have to convince ourselves. We have to experiment until we prove it from enough experimenting. We don't have to convince ourselves. You could do this exercise going, I don't know if this will work for me. Nikki could be full of crap. Cool. Try it anyway for a while. Don't don't believe it because I'm saying it. Believe it because you show yourself that it works for you. And the more you practice that, the more your system just comes together. So now I just think about doing that activity and the feeling of presence washes over me. And all that was, was sight, sound, touch, and then I kind of threw in a little smell. That's it. That's all you got to do is breathe, breathe and sense. The more Nikki healed herself, the more she realized just how strong she was. Her experience led her to want to share her learning with the world. And just like me, as she stepped into her voice, she wanted to find a way to share her message to a broader audience. And that's when she decided to do a podcast. Before I launched the the podcast, I went and did the moth. The moth is a storytelling competition that before COVID was in every major city, it started in New York. I decided to do a moth story to see, okay, can I do this podcast and really put my story out there? So I thought the moth was a good test. We tr- we looked for a name for a good long time, like over a year, we couldn't find a name. And one day I just said emotional badass and my, my now husband, my now third husband, there's another husband in there I didn't get to. But my now husband is a fantastic match for me. He produces the podcast. And I just said, well, what about emotional badass? He said, how long have you been sitting on that? (laughs) That's the name. I said, oh, years ago, I I was sitting in a session with someone who had been very abused by their father. And I just said, have you ever thought of yourself as an emotional badass? And I saw her perk up and no, I didn't. I'm like, "Look look at what you've been through. That's where it comes from. When you look at the finding peace model, you know that smack dab right in the center is the yin and yang of pain and peace. They go together. Pain and peace go together. As much as we wish that they didn't. As much as we wish that we never had to experience any more pain in this world and that all we could feel is just peace and love and joy. 
unfortunately, that's not how it works. And there's actually a symbiotic relationship between pain and peace. And peace can become an amazing teacher. And part of the journey of finding peace is learning how to do that during the painful times. How to be able to have one foot in pain and one foot in peace and actually become whole. Learning how to heal. Learning how to develop resilience in order to have more peace, joy, and love in our life. And Nikki's story proves that finding peace is possible. The best people I know on the Not earth are the ones her, that have had had it kind of rough and have well. grown from it because it gives you big old muscles. I have Schwarzenegger resiliency muscles now and nobody can take it take it away. And I don't think we show that enough. That's a big part of why I wanted to do this show too. And look, if I can get Schwarzenegger muscles, anybody can get big old muscles in this healing stuff and in resiliency. And the truth is that even when hard things happen, because they're not going to stop happening for me, and they're not going to stop happening for all of us, because being alive is sometimes a certain amount of hard. But there is nothing that can get me now. I can be sad. I know I'm never going to be depressed again. Because I know how to bounce. I know how to be resilient. And I refuse anything else from my life. And if you're listening to me and you're struggling, I promise you, that's not as, don't convince yourself that that's about my spirit or my temperament or my personality. I have a lot of that too. But you do too if you're listening. It's about skills. It's just about learning some stuff. And it's not rocket science. It feels like it when we don't know how to do it. But it's not. It's simple stuff. And so if you just give yourself a chance to learn those things, you really can learn it. You really can. And part of the trick is while you're moving through therapy and learning and letting go of what no longer serves you, it genuinely feels impossible. It feels like you're never going to get there. And that's bullshit. All you have to do is keep doing it. That's just a feeling. And if you've got a critical voice in there, that critical voice is full of shit a lot of the time. And it's full of shit about this too. Healing is possible to all of us. And I thought my PTSD would be chronic, and it's not. I am healed. If you would like to hear more from Nikki, look her up at emotionalbadass.com. There you can find links to her podcast, and you can also learn more about her annual boundaries course, where she teaches her students how to say no and do it in a way that is a work of art. Her course will be offered in October. Thank you for listening to the Finding Peace podcast. And thank you, Nikki, for your spirit, your passion, and your willingness to be vulnerable. You are blessing lives. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you love the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to findingpeaceconsulting.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace 5-Day Challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a 5-star rating. It really does help other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And a special thanks to Johnny Porter for producing the show and A.G. Flux for the new background music. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.